Welcome to episode 169 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung, coming to you from Austin, Texas. Excited to be with you today. We've got a couple things on the agenda. One, we've got some introductory current events, as we like to talk about, as it was a big weekend of racing this past weekend in indoor track, especially. But secondly, want to get to a conversation I had with Natalie Pichetti talking about blood values and blood chemistry and how you can use that information in order to improve your performance. So I'll get to that part of the conversation in a second. But first, let's talk about some current events. We had a lot going on this past weekend. We'll actually start with the roads before we get to the indoor track. We had some Olympic trials hopefuls running half marathons as tune-up races this past weekend. It started with a trio of Olympic trials hopefuls racing the Phoenix Mesa half marathon or Mesa Phoenix half marathon, including Galen Rupp, who was able to finish his first race since his Achilles surgery. He ran low 101s on a net downhill course there in Phoenix to run a really solid race, get the win, and show that he's rounding into form in advance of the Olympic trials. I think for him at this point, just finishing a race is a good sign, but to be able to do it and run 101, albeit on a downhill course, that's really solid, shows that his form is strong. And if you can get a healthy Galen Rupp on a start line in Atlanta on February 29th, then it's going to be hard to pick against him. So... I think this result is a sign that we might just get that healthy Galen Rupp. Of course, doing it here in Atlanta, or doing it on Phoenix on a net downhill course versus in Atlanta on a hilly up and down course that's going to put a little bit more stress on that Achilles is going to be a different thing altogether. But I think this is a positive sign that it's going to be hard to pick against Rupp because we know from past results that he is the class of U.S. marathoners if healthy. So... Will he be and will he then deliver in Atlanta on February 29th? We shall see, but he was strong behind him by about a minute for Matt Yano and Sam Chalanga, both other trials hopefuls that also train in Flagstaff. Solid results. Those times are probably worth about a minute slower than that on a flat course, so maybe something around 103, which would be on par with what we saw from a host of Americans in Houston. So solid results there for Matt and Sam. I think nothing crazy or or out of the ordinary there. You know, solid races that you might expect for two athletes that are in their trials buildups. So that's solid. And then over a little bit east of Phoenix at the New Orleans Rock and Roll Marathon, we had another trio of athletes competing gearing up for their trials experience first amy hastings crag on the women's side she ran a 116 high i believe it was a 116.54 to win the rock and roll marathon in new orleans and that to me while while fast for many is probably not what she wanted to accomplish on that day and so i think that's a that raises a bit of eyebrows or concerns potentially for Amy Craig as she preps for the trials. We know that she's been struggling off and on with injury over the last really about 18 months 
and to see her run a time that should be really manageable for her and she actually did it in positive splits getting slower throughout that race which I can't believe was the plan for her on that day that's not a good sign that that the fitness and and that the health is there for her of course still er, you know still still got a few weeks to prep turn things around but I think that is a sign potentially that Amy Craig will not be on the form that she would want for the trials so that was Amy Craig concerning result there on the men's side in that race her teammates from the Bowerman Track Club Chris Derrick and Andrew Bumbelow both ran 104 low it was flat New Orleans a little bit warm and humid as it was here in Austin that same Sunday morning so to have those two athletes run 104 tells me that they're probably trying to do something where they're getting out maybe in about marathon effort and then progressing a little bit throughout the race I think that's what we saw there from those two, which tells me that they probably got exactly what they wanted from from that race based on my anticipation of what their coach's instructions might be from Jerry Schumacher. So they probably got what they wanted. I'm suspecting that Amy Craig did not. Looks good for Chris Derrick and Andrew Bumbelow to at least you know, be in the mix for an outside chance of earning an Olympic spot if things go their way. But again, doesn't look great for Amy Craig if we're reading the tea leaves. But of course, you never know with these prep races, anything can happen. Maybe something Haywire just went wrong for her on the day that didn't allow her to execute on that. Really what amounts to workout as, as she had planned. So, those are some insights from the road gives us a little bit of a picture shaping up on the trials where you have at least one of our favorites scaling Rupp, looking strong and ready another one of the potential favorites amy Craig, not we shall see how that plays out as we get closer now we're just under three weeks out from the race itself let's talk about the indoor track now because there were absolute fireworks on the indoor track this weekend at the Milrose Games hosted by the New York New York Roadrunners there in New York City. Unbelievable. I got to watch some of it on NBC that afternoon on Saturday and also you can if you want to go watch the replay you can go back and watch it on NBC Sports Gold because it's really worth watching. You had all kinds of impressive times, American records going down in several events, fast times, really impressive times across the board. We got to start with the two mile events. We had the Wanamaker Mile on the women's side was just absolutely blistering fast. El Purrier ended up getting the win, the American New Balance athlete in 41685, which is an American record, also a meet record, of course, and a PR by I think it was eight seconds for El Perrier for the indoor mile. She ran a perfect race in terms of strategy. She ended up cruising by Constance Klosterhalfen, also called Coco Klosterhalfen, from the former Oregon project who got second in 4.17 in a German national record, and then Gemma Riki was third in a British national record in 4.17 high. Then you had Gabriella Stafford, who was 4.19, 
ran a Canadian record, followed by Nikki Hiltz, who was a little bit further back in 424, but a personal best for her. So this was a blistering race. It was made by Coco Klosterhofen, who really took the pace from about the midway point once the pacer dropped and was pressing the pace, pressing the pace, trying to drop the the others. And so there ended up being a string of four women behind Klosterhofen. It was Klosterhofen, then, then Riki, then Stafford, then Elperier, who was actually sitting at the back of that group for a bunch of it. But then she started to move up with a couple laps to go and then made the pass on the final lap to cruise home with the victory, making it really kind of look easy, to be honest. She obviously was working hard, but but seemed like there could have been even a little bit more there had she been pressed a little bit at the end by Kulsterhofen, but she was not. So El Perrier absolutely crushed it. She was stunned, didn't even know she'd set an American record until she was interviewed afterwards by NBC. So it was a fun watch, and it was cool to see the the Twitterverse erupt with other elite athletes in this world congratulating Elle on her race. And, I mean, this is is huge. Her time also puts her second ever behind DeBaba. So, I mean, this... This puts her in rarefied air for the indoor mile and is really, really impressive. It also puts her in a really good position going into nationals coming up next weekend or really this weekend where she allegedly is going to be doubling in the 1500 and the 3K, which means that she'll be going head to head with Shelby Houlihan, who is also allegedly doubling in the 1500 and the 3K. So we're going to get a head to head matchup with L. Purrier versus Shelby Houlihan. And with this kind of finish from Purrier here, it'll be really interesting head-to-head. Now, of course, you have to wonder, did Purrier perhaps leave everything from this indoor season on the track there at the Wanamaker Mile? Or will she have something left to give competing against Houlihan next weekend? We shall see. Either way, going to be really fascinating, but really impressive result from El Purrier. the and by the way she's been running the 5k outdoors and has done well there made the 5k team and in, in uh, at the world championships so it'll be interesting to see what this means for her as she goes into the outdoor season my assumption is that she'll continue to race the 5k but I think this gives us an indication that if she wanted to she could go try to make an Olympic team in the 1500 too so that's the women's side. On the men's side, you had a little bit more tactical race. The race ended up being won in 355, which is which is solid, but not outrageously fast. And the pace dawdled a little bit in the middle as Philip Ingebrigtsen tried to keep the race under control as he was leading early after the Pacers dropped out. But then over the final lap and a half or so, things really picked up as Chris O'Hare made a strong move to the lead to really set the pace down the stretch. And he gapped the group pretty quickly and would not be denied as he moved around, took the lead, took the front, and really drove home from there, finishing a final his final lap in just over 56 seconds, 
to earn the win, his second Wanamaker mile. He was, again, first, Oli Hoare from the University of Wisconsin was second, the Australian. Then you had Rob Napolitano get third from the New York, New Jersey Track Club, sponsored by Hoka. And then the great two-time Olympic medalist Nick Willis was fourth in this one. And Philip Ingebrigtsen ended up falling to seventh, which can't be a result that he is happy about. So excellent result from Chris O'Hare. It was fun to see him also be interviewed afterwards with his two young kids by the track. And so he talked about the importance of doing it with his family and sharing that experience with them, which was a pretty cool way to wrap his interview. Beyond that, lots of good things happening at the Milrose. Justin Knight, who I had on the podcast, won the men's 3K. Ali Ostrander, the the collegiate steeplechase champion, won the women's 3K to earn her first title as a pro. At least I believe that's her first title as a pro. Running now for Brooks Beast. And then on the 800-meter side, both the men's and women's, you had more really impressive results. Donovan Brazier ended up running an American record, 144.22, closing that final lap, really blowing by everybody and destroying the field over the final lap as he sat early and was really running like fifth place until he decided to move up late working on his tactics. He ended up with the national record, getting first Bryce Hopple, the Kansas University of Kansas grad, was second, and Isaiah Harris came in third, which if you look at that top three with Brazier, Hopple, and Harris, I mean, you could potentially argue that those three athletes could be your Olympic team in the men's 800 for the U.S., so cool to see them all performing well early season here in indoor, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out for the U.S. indoor champs coming up here this coming weekend. And then on the, the women's 800, another national record set by Ajay Wilson, who absolutely dominated in typical Ajay Wilson fashion. Natoya Gould from Jamaica actually led this race for a bit, but Ajay Wilson was just patient, stayed behind her, ran her own race, controlled really from that second position, controlled the race from her second position, and then ended up blowing away Natoya Gould at the end. She ran a 158-29 national record. Natoya Gould ended up second in 159-35. And then Olivia Baker from New Balance ran 202 to be well off in third. So just really impressive again from Ajay Wilson. She came off disappointment in the world champs in the 800 and here shows that she's on form again going into an Olympic season and, you know, is is sort of like Molly Huddle in a sense that, you know, there's death taxes in Molly Huddle for the, the 10K on the track with the 800 meters, especially in the U.S. It's Ajay Wilson, death taxes and Ajay Wilson when it comes to the 800. And this is a really hard race to get right consistently. So you got to you got to respect that from Ajay Wilson. 
Then finally, as we move away from the Wanamaker Mile or from the Milrose Games, and I would again encourage you to go check it out. Go try to watch it if you can on NBC Sports Gold. Some really fun and impressive races. But as we get away from that, we got to talk about a new world record in the pole vault from one Mondo Duplantis, who we've talked about several times on this podcast. It's been a little while since I've mentioned him, but he is the Louisiana-born pole vaulter who actually competes for Sweden, but is a 20-year-old savant of pole vaulting. And this weekend got the the world record in the pole vault, the highest vault ever done by a man, period, in 6.17 meters, which equates to 20 feet and almost three inches that he cleared really with room to spare based on my view of the video. You can find that video on YouTube and see the reaction for Mondo. He went crazy and then ran over to celebrate with his mom who was in the crowd. And it was just really cool to see. 20 years old, getting the world record in what has been really a steady progression since he started pole vaulting at the age of six. I saw on Twitter somebody somebody posted a progression from him at six years old all the way till now when he was 20 and they showed the highest vault he's achieved every single year it's been a steady progression to this point and really I think no surprise from anyone that he was able to earn this world record and the cool thing about it I think if you watch any field events is that the pole vault community seems to be as excited about it as anybody else as this is a community that definitely supports each other and cheers each other on as they're all really competing between themselves and the bar and there's a camaraderie camaraderie that comes with that that you see on the track as they cheer each other on and so his competitors were going as crazy as he was in many ways after he cleared the 6.17 meters so congrats to Mondo on that really impressive it'll be interesting to see if he can continue to best that as we as we work to the Olympics in Tokyo this year. Those are our current events. Things are heating up in the world of track and field as we as we progress through the season again. We'll have U.S. Indoor Championships coming up this coming weekend, so I'll be able to kind of talk about that and give you all the all the recap on that starting next Monday with the next episode in this podcast. Before we get there, obviously, we got more to talk about today. And as I promised, I wanted to share with you a conversation I had with Natalie Piketty about blood chemistry and blood values and how you should consider and look at those as an athlete who is focused on performance and how that might differ from if you're looking at it just from a pure health standpoint. I actually had this conversation with Natalie and Jason Brooks, or at least the the part of the conversation I'm going to share with you came from an episode that we shared with our new base building training program and we we do a podcast every week for that group as well as for our other podcast training group and in this case we brought on Natalie to talk about blood values and blood chemistry for that group specifically and so they get access to special episodes to talk about their training program that you guys don't get access to so I'm going to pull a clip 
from that conversation so that you can hear it as well because I think it's really important to to talk about because I don't think it's something that really is talked about much and as athletes we don't necessarily have the resources that we need to really understand how our blood values might impact how we can run versus you know just simply using it to identify issues related to disease and so I wanted to pull part of this clip for you just because I think this information is powerful and relevant for all and in the clip you'll hear a little bit about Natalie's own journey to figure out what's what was going on with some health issue, uh, issues that she was having that was affecting her performance and I also share about a, a little bit about my own journey and some of the things that I've seen in my blood values through the years that I've learned with the help of Natalie. Natalie is actually married to Dr. Noah Moose, who I've had on the show, and they work together at Health Plus ATX, which is their practice here in Austin. So let's jump in with this clip with Natalie. And we've got Natalie Pichetti joining. How are you doing, Natalie? I'm doing good. Natalie is the better half of the Dr. Moose and Natalie (laughs) Pichetti combination. Some of you know Dr. Moose from coming on my main podcast where we talked about human performance with Jason. Natalie also works in Dr. Moose's practice, helping people figure out a lot of different things. But one of the things that we're going to talk about today is her expertise on blood chemistry and how you can gain insights from that to improve your performance. So we're going to get to that with Natalie in just a second. We'll also, of course, be talking about the week five details in terms of what you need to be doing to step up into phase two of the strength training program. And then we've got our first workout associated with our running program as we continue to build base fitness. So, but we're going to start actually with you, Natalie, today so that we can be cognizant of your time and get you out of here off (laughs) to your, to celebrate your birthday. I know it is my birthday today. (laughs) So happy birthday. Thanks for coming in on your birthday. It's pretty awesome. Getting older, getting wiser. You're what you can drink now, I think, right? (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's been many years since that birthday. (laughs) Yeah, right. Do you have any birthday wishes? Anything, anything to, you know, be excited about going into this new year for you? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, sounds generic and cheesy, but just to be as healthy as I can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good. It's, uh, it's been a lot about health and wellness and fitness and all that good stuff. So I don't know. I feel like yeah. it's kind of the foundation of feeling good and um, kind of living your best life. So cheers to that. <laughs> so before we jump into talking exactly about that and helping others with it, Want to get a little bit of your background. You're, you've been actually around Rogue now for a long time. Yeah. I think it's been since 2011. Oh, Is goodness. that right? I can't remember the year specifically, but it 2011, has been 2012. Quite the, yeah, it's yeah. been a while. Somewhere in that range, you came to join us at Rogue to join our elite athlete training group called Rogue Athletic Club at the time. Mm-hmm. Graduated from the University of Georgia, ran the 800 and 1500 there yep. as well. Oh, yeah. And... And then came to train with us back in the day to yeah. try to pursue your dream <laughs> as a elite athlete. 
we're, let's go back for just a second. What was it like moving to Austin for the first time? Tell, tell me about that early formative experience <laughs> joining us at Rogue. Uh, well, actually, I loved it. So, I mean, Austin's a cool city. You know, I went to University of Georgia and um, it's in the small little town Athens. And Athens is kind of like a mini Austin. So I kind of always, you know, even though I loved Athens, it had a special place in my heart. I also knew I was going to move to a big city. And so Austin was just perfect, right? It had everything, um, but it was just like bigger. And it was just, it was a fun time because there was like a lot to explore with jobs, running, friendships. I mean, there's a lot going on. And um, Austin was just such a fun city to kind of kick off the next chapter of my life. And remind me what you studied at... University of Georgia. Yeah, so I was a pre-med major. Um, I did emphasis in uh, psychology, and um, I thought I'd go, about going to med school for a little bit, but then I decided to go into neuroscience, and that's actually, I found a job in Austin um, that brought me to a neuroscience lab, so. Yeah, because I remember early on, you'd be doing crazy work with the team and then going to work in the lab, mm-hmm. doing stuff that I didn't understand. <laughs> 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 be like, what's going on, Natalie? And you'd <laughs> rattle off some weird words and acronyms, and I'd be like, that sounds crazy, yeah. <laughs> but pretty cool too. It's very niche, so if you're not in it, it, it is kind of hard to understand. <laughs> and for you, you obviously had some success. You're Canadian, mm-hmm. so you're competing, trying to compete for Canada, in uh, you know for the Olympics. But you also had some challenges as a as an elite athlete related to basically how your body processed food and, and, and worked that were really hard to figure out. So give us a little bit of that history because I think it's relevant to how you've learned to help people today. Yeah, absolutely. It definitely is a big piece to my story. So back in college, I was doing really well. I was performing really well. Every year I improved. I got a PR. Things were moving in the right direction. But then my last year of competition, everything just like fell. Like it just my whole health just down, like was, I was in this spiral downfall and I didn't really understand what was happening to me. I, you know, I didn't have any energy. I was having all these crazy, unusual symptoms. Um, I, you know, I was, felt like I was inflamed all the time and running started to become really, really painful. And to the point where I would struggle even running with people, I would start to get really stressed about it because it was just really painful in my body and I didn't really understand what was happening. Um, my performances went down. They started getting really shaky. Um, but luckily, I still had times from the previous year and I had a couple good races during the season um, to allow me to get to like the national championships and the Olympic trials that year. But leading up to it, um, I started feeling really sick. I was nauseated all the time. And so I started going from doctor to doctor, you know, trying to figure out what was wrong because I knew something was wrong. And every single time they would run some blood work, I'd get it back and it looked great. (laughs) And they would kind of look at me and like, you look super healthy. You look great. Um, And I was like, but I don't feel great. (laughs) There has to be something wrong. Um, But nobody could find anything. So. Fast forward to the 2008 Olympic trials, um, something terrible happened inside my body. Um, I actually ran the race. I didn't know it at the time, but I was internally bleeding. And it wasn't until Mm. weeks after that um, we had some imaging done 
and they found a hematoma on my liver that ruptured and I was internally bleeding during the race. But even then, the doctors still could, couldn't find what was wrong, you know? And even with a ruptured hematoma on my liver, my blood work still looked great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it was just a very upsetting and confusing time for me. So how did you, fig- how did you figure out what was going on? Um, well, uh, well, the, the hematoma, what we did some imaging and, you know, it was interesting because I would go to, I went to like a, a doctor that specializes in the liver and literally the answer he gave me was like, oh, it's just like being struck by lightning. It just happens to people. <laughs> and I was like, no, surely <laughs> there's something else. Right. I, I, haven't felt, yeah. I haven't felt good for a year. <laughs> right, right. Um, and so that's when I kind of started my health journey. I started trying to investigate for myself. But to be completely honest, I was lost for years. Um, I bounced around from doctor to doctor. You know, I tried trying things myself, um, but I was lost. I had no direction and I didn't know what to do. So I kind of struggled with my health and my performance for years. Um, but then, you know, I was recruited to the rogue team. They believed in me and they thought I had potential. And I was like, okay, if I have a team to help support me, um, maybe I can figure this thing out. And so um, I joined the team and that's when actually I met Dr. Moose. <laughs> and uh, he we were just talking and I'm like telling him my story and all these crazy symptoms. And he's like, huh, do you have any blood work? And I was like, you know, I think I do actually, I think I have this like file folder and I kept all my stuff. So, um, I went home and I grabbed it and I brought it to him and he starts looking through and he's like, this looks terrible. Hmm. And I was like, really? Like I was so excited. (laughs) I was like, yes, it looks terrible. (laughs) You know, just so relieved that there was actually, like maybe some answers. And uh, that's when I first started becoming really interested in blood chemistry. You know, he taught me that there's different uh, ranges for athletes. You know, you have conventional athlete or conventional ranges for, you know, the typical population. um, But those ranges aren't really good for health and performance. Um, And even picking up on little things, um, hidden things that could be going on in the background that we aren't quite aware of. So that kind of kickstarted my journey um, into functional medicine, became fascinated by it. Um, You know, and that's when I started doing lots of labs, different testing, trying to figure out what was going on. And um, I had to change a lot with my diet, my lifestyle, and then address a lot of the things that showed up in my blood work. Um, so yeah, and then I, I ended up uh, getting my master's on functional medicine and human nutrition uh, at University of Western States. And uh, from then on, I've been just practicing it and trying to help athletes who whose performances are falling off for no good reason at all, <laughs> try to find some answers. Because you were still running fast at times, especially relative to normal humans' definitions yeah. of fast. <laughs> I mean, you're able to do some pretty incredible things, but it wasn't your potential, and yeah. that was what was so frustrating. Yes. And I think that's what's frustrating for a lot of athletes, where you walk into a doctor's office, and I'm not throwing stones at traditional medicine here, but you walk in there, they look at you, you are by their definition healthy. Yes. But if you're not able to do what you want to do and compete as your best self, that doesn't feel great. And so there's a different level Mm -hmm. to sort of be considered for those that, you know, that really want to optimize performance. Yes. That isn't really taught or considered or really time isn't given if you go to a traditional doctor 
on those things because they're just trying to band-aid people and bandage people up (laughs) figuratively of course yeah in terms of those kind of big illnesses that dog western humans yeah and i I think you bring up a good point because especially when a doc when you go into a doctor's office and they look at your blood work you know these ranges are set for you know typical healthy populations however they determine that and it's interesting because what they'll do is they'll every lab is actually very different um if you go from lab to lab they'll actually have different reference ranges there's no universal reference ranges and they'll take you know different populations based on age and sex and you know other variables like that and they'll basically you know, average everybody's together, find the mean and take two standard deviations from it, which accounts for about 95% of like healthy people. And they call those the ranges. Right. But then when you actually look at the research, uh, the research around these blood values, you'll realize that for, you know, to reduce all cause mortality or to reduce disease states, you know, it's more important to tighten the ranges up, you know, because as athletes, we're not the average person, you know, we actually probably do look very healthy compared to the regular healthy person. Um, And so it's, I think, really important to acknowledge that, you know, the lab ranges that you see at your doctors aren't everything. Um, It's important for athletes to have them tightened in certain areas. What was an example for you of something that fell normal within the quote unquote normal ranges, but was off and was a, was a sign that something wasn't right? Yeah, actually for me, um, kind of looking back at my blood work, one of the biggest things is I had a really big anemia going on. So um, being anemic means you're not delivering oxygen to your tissues. And as you can imagine, during an 800 or 1500 meter race, you can't get oxygen to your tissues. You're going to break down. You're going to struggle with your performance and it's going to go downhill. And um, yeah, so, you know, with anemias, your red blood cells can be too small or too big to hold oxygen. And in my case, mine were too big. So it's interesting because most people, when they look at athletes, they may look for iron and ferritin, but mine was more of a B12 and folate issue. Um, But most people don't pick that up. Mm. And so I had really big red blood cells. It wasn't registering as lab high, but they were still way higher than the ideal size for your red blood cell. And so that could have been such a simple fix by taking B12 and folate to help mature my red blood cells so they can actually carry oxygen and deliver it to my body. Um, that would have been huge at the time when I was really struggling with my performance. Hmm. That's interesting. I know for me, speaking of sort of normal ranges, you know, I had a vitamin D deficiency that, that Dr. Moose helped me identify that was one of the root causes of a stress fracture that I had in my heel. I was measuring at 23 normal range, according to, you know, what I was seeing on the labs was 30 and above. So I had a deficiency. He found that I then tested and and saw that as well. But then I was supplementing for about four months, went back, got it tested again. And I think I was in that point in the upper thirties or low forties. So it had improved a quote unquote normal range. But in talking to Dr. Mears, he's like, no, as an athlete, I want to see you at, at 50 or above at least in order to optimize the recovery and the other immune responses associated with vitamin D. And, you know, if I had just supplemented to get into normal, that might've been okay if I was going to be sitting on the couch playing video games all day, (laughs) but it's not going to be if I'm trying to run my fastest marathon necessarily. 
so that was an example for me that that you know without the knowledge that you guys were able to bring to me I wouldn't have I wouldn't have known yeah and it's true so they're you know I feel like normal reference lab ranges, they're going to look for a disease, right? But we're trying to pick up on pre-disease or little red flags that give us cues as to when things are starting to go downhill. So we can hopefully catch them before they actually turn into disease, right? Before a vitamin D deficiency actually manifests as a stress fracture, you know, you want to catch it before it happens. Yeah. Yeah. The other related point he found was that I actually have a genetic, uh, mutation that doesn't allow me to absorb d Mm -hmm. appropriately so i actually need to supplement more than the average person might in order just to get to those 50 or above levels so a lot of nuance there but that's not something that i would have ever really picked up on had i just gone to a normal doctor and said hey what's the issue and by the way i did go to a normal doctor he's like you have a stress fracture take two months off and then let's talk (laughs) that's what that's what i was told which, you know, yes, I still needed to take two months off, but I also needed to get to the root cause of the issue so that hopefully it won't happen again. And it was that insight around the blood work that I think really helped me do that. What's another example? So you mentioned your sort of your B and folate levels. I'm talking about vitamin D. What's another example of something that, you know, people might that might look normal mm-hmm. in those normal reference ranges, but can be an issue if it's not in a tighter range. Yeah, for sure. So there's a lot of issues uh, that are commonly encountered by athletes. And that's kind of what I try to look for. Um, there's, you know, one thing actually is like low grade infection. I think as an athlete, you're kind of constantly pushing that line, you know, you're producing a lot of stress hormone, which can suppress the immune system. And it's a, it's a well-known fact that upper respiratory tract infections are really common in athletes. And so it's good to look and see if your immune function is kind of functioning on the low side so you can do things to try to boost it. Um, you know, that's one thing. Also disrupted digestion. Um, low stomach acid is very common in athletes. Mm. And when you think about it, digestion is the basics, right? You need to be able to digest your food so you can assimilate it to build your body back up. If you can't digest protein or things are off there, it's important to work on that, right? Like check your protein levels and whatnot. So um, disrupted digestion is another one that, you know, it's not a disease state, right? Like if you have some issue digesting protein or carbohydrates or fats, but it's enough to, you know, reduce your performance because you're going to, it's going to affect your recovery times. Um, inflammation's a big one. <laughs> I will say uh, as athletes, we always have to kind of balance that breaking down our bodies and building them back up. So it's good to catch if you're constantly in a chronic inflammatory state, because then you have to look at other, you know, diet, lifestyles, training, and making sure that everything's in balance so you can recover as quick as you can. Where does inflammation show up in blood work? Like, what are the markers for that? Yeah, so we use, uh, there's a marker called HSCRP. And usually when that's raised, there's a lot of uh, inflammation or tissue damage going on. So, um, and then we also look at homocysteine as well. Um, Homocysteine is kind of this uh, toxic byproduct that can actually damage your blood vessels. Um, And so when those two are kind of raised, we think, okay, there's inflammation going on in the body right now. um, And we have to kind of get a handle on it. So let's talk a little bit about what you do with patients in your office now that we kind of set the context a little bit. When someone comes to you and says, hey, Natalie, I want to figure out my blood chemistry and drill into it like you're talking about, 
what does that look like? What's the process? What do you do? What are the insights that come from it? And typically what interventions do you see on the other side? Yeah, for sure. So usually when somebody comes in, we do an extensive uh, patient health history. Um, I'm all about looking for clues. And, you know, with my background in functional medicine, it's getting to the root cause. And so you could look at someone's blood work, but you need to take it in the context of the person, their lifestyle, the stressors they've had, the infections they've had. Um, there's a lot that goes into the the initial health history. Um, and then I do symptom surveys. I try to see what's areas in the body are stressed and then make those connections with the blood work as well. And so it's a lot of like data collection, trying to put together this story of the patient and then looking at that story, doing their blood work, and then trying to make the associations there. Um, We do do these functional reports, which are really, really nice. Um, And they kind of tell you like kind of some of the major issues that are going on. And, you know, if anyone's like, if you're a nerd out there and like all this stuff, you can read through and understand, well, you know, this level plus this level means that, yeah, there might be inflammation in your body. And so you can kind of like read through that. But then I also do my own analysis on top of that, Um, you know, in the context of common issues that are encountered by athletes. And then once I've kind of established what's going on, I kind of prioritize the issues that are going on, Um, you know, because usually you have to kind of come up with a plan of attack, right? What do we work on first, especially if multiple things are going on? And then I come up with a a plan. (laughs) Yeah. What does the blood work part of that equation look like? Yeah. So, you know, uh, in simple terms, you know, like if you have low vitamin D, you know, I'm going to use some uh, high dose vitamin D to try to get your levels up, right? Because, you know, you want to make sure to have that like healthy bone mineralization while you're performing. Um, And then, you know, I look for signs even with, uh, you know, blood sugar balance. That's another important one, because if I'm seeing signs of that, we need to do strategies in your diet to make sure that you can start balancing out and fixing those hormones. Um, And then, yeah, it's looking at it from a immune standpoint, a hormonal standpoint, um, diet standpoint, um, taking all the pieces and just coming up with creative ways to solve them. But, but I guess my question was, you're not doing the blood work yourself, or oh, are no. you? Oh, and yeah, so, yeah. So you're sending somebody to a lab. Yeah. I'm assuming they're getting certain basic blood panels. You know, we've got CBC, CMP. Mm-hmm. You can do hormone hormonal panels. What are the panels that you're actually considering, or is it a custom? We put a custom one together. Yeah. 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 So just through running lots of blood work, we've uh, made our own custom one uh, that we use specifically for athletes. Okay. Yeah. Just to cover the most common things that show up. Yeah. And it's much, I will say it's much more extensive uh, than the blood work you would get from your doctor too. So there's um a lot of interesting values in there. Yeah. So... From there, what are the typical interventions you see? You know, you talk about supplementation. Obviously, that's a big part of it. But give us some examples of outcomes that you may traditionally see from working with patients. Yeah. So um, I guess uh, blood sugar is a good one, right? So um, I see that a lot in athletes. Uh, You know, let's say they are showing signs of uh, reactive hypoglycemia. That's when your blood sugar, you know, you eat you know, you have your meal and then maybe two to three hours later, your blood sugar crashes. Um, for an athlete, that's incredibly stressful in the system. You know, you're producing all this stress hormone uh, to try to regulate the blood sugar response. And so calming that down um, really helps you, uh, even with fuel utilization, because when your blood sugar is 
you know, spiking up and crashing down, you almost start to rely on carbohydrates to fix the problem. And then people will start getting carbohydrate intolerance, and then they're not very efficient at burning fat for fuel. So we'll start with, um, you know, some strategies that we use as we might eat every two to three hours to make sure you don't have those big dips. And then also maybe try to resensitize your body to carbohydrates by eliminating them for a short period of time. So you become, become better at using fat for fuel because fat can sustain you longer throughout the day. But also when you're looking at fat versus carbohydrates, you produce much more energy from fat when you're doing endurance running. So uh, not only do you kind of help that blood sugar response throughout the day, but you also improve the diet and then you also can improve in performance simply at becoming more efficient at using a different fuel. So, yep. yeah. What about anemias? You know, I think your first point, which we didn't drill in too much yet, is that they can come in different forms and require different interventions than just take iron, right? Which is mm-hmm. the one I think we most commonly know about. So give us some sense for how that might manifest in a few different ways. Yeah, for sure. So there's lots of different types of anemia. Um, you know, everybody recognizes iron, but there's B12 anemia, there's folate anemia, there's uh B6 anemia, there's vitamin C anemia, there's vitamin D anemia. (laughs) There's like, there's a lot that goes into making healthy red blood cells. And, you know, I I think it's also important to note that you should never look at blood work values in isolation. They all work together and you get a more complete story when you look how they play on each other. And so, you know, if, um, you know, your red blood cells are small, you think uh, it's going to be iron or B6. But then you have to look for other clues. Okay, well, which one is it? Is your ferritin low? What's your serum iron look like? If those are healthy, then you start looking at homocysteine because homocysteine will let you know if it's high that there's a B vitamin deficiency. So then you start to think, okay, it's probably a vitamin B6 deficiency. And so you have to kind of know all the nuances and look at all the blood work together to kind of hone in on what's inhibiting you from building healthy red blood cells. Um, yeah. So it's complicated. It's you know. <laughs> <laughs> is what you're saying. And to me, you know, one frustration I have with traditional medicine in this sense is that we aren't educated about that complicated nature of this. And you know, it's not the fault of doctors. I think it can partially be a fault of how they're trained, also how they're compensated in terms of the time they actually have to spend on these things, mm-hmm. that we're not getting to the nuance of this stuff, especially with the performance angle. Yes. Because, yeah, you know, somebody might be able to sustain an anemia if they're not trying to run 20 miles on the weekend. Exactly. But if they are then that rears its ugly head in a way that can be really frustrating for somebody who's trying to PR in the marathon or half marathon. And we're, and, and, you know, and as athletes, we're not educated about that nuance. And so there's, it's hard to find resources that you can go to that would say, you know, this is what's wrong with you. This is how you can do better. But you're one of those resources. It seems like there are others and there's a spectrum you know, somebody could go to the doctor and could get a traditional, you know, for an annual physical and get a traditional CBC, CMP, maybe lipid panel and, 
you know, I don't know what are the, the other basic panels, you know, I know I can ask mine to do a vitamin D on me and that won't cost me anything more to get that basic blood panel. The output may or may not be useful, but if I'm that person who doesn't have a lot of money to invest in this, what are my options? And then how does that scale up to somebody who is prepared to spend a little bit more? Yeah, that's a, uh, it's a good question because, you know, I will say functional medicine is kind of this emerging field. And so they're just, people are just starting to get into it, teach about it. Um, and so, you know, one thing, like actually with, uh, you know, me and Dr. Mace, we started the Human Nutrition Project. We're starting to try to explain the blood values. Um, that way you could start being on the lookout if things pop up, you know, trying to educate people that, you know, let's start looking for these things. Um, you know, that's like, you know, a good place to start is just to pull out your blood work and start looking at the values. Um, look at what athlete reference ranges are and see if you fall into them. And if you don't, then you you want to start investigating. Yeah. But how do you get those athlete reference ranges? Well, we'll probably <laughs> end up sharing a lot of them. Okay. Stay tuned. <laughs> Stay tuned. Stay tuned. We are building that. HumanNutritionProject.com. <laughs> yes. Perfect. So that would be helpful for sure. Yes. <laughs> because I do think, you know, because there's a few basic things. Like I can talk about vitamin D and I can tell you that, hey, if you're not above a 50, you know, and I think 50 to 80 is kind of the range that mm-hmm. that I've been told from Dr. Moose I want to be in it. And so that's something I know about and can look for. But there are probably, you know, 20 plus other values that I have no idea about. Yeah. That sure. may matter in diff- for different things. But what do you offer? What, you know, if somebody is like, hey, I, I want to invest in this. I want to figure out how to be not only my best version as an athlete, but also just feel better as a human. Mm-hmm. What do you do? What do you offer? What are the price ranges and how does it work? Yeah. So um, usually if you want to get started, you know, and it's it's one of those things like everybody's health and performance goals are going to be different. Um, I will say when somebody comes to me, it is very customized. Um, like I said, it's not a cookie cutter approach by any stretch of the imagination. Um, everybody's so unique and different. So, you know, like I said, I'll, I'll take in context the patient's story and then I'll look at their blood work and I'll usually do a pretty big deep dive into it. You know, um, when I see things that are out of range, I start looking at relationships and cross-referencing them. Um, and then, you know, um, so, you know, I put some packages together for that. Um, I think the initial one, so blood work usually will typically run, I think it's around 270 right now. Uh, sometimes the labs change your prices, but. Mm-hmm. That's um, for the blood panel, the custom blood panel that you all order. Yeah, the custom blood panel that we all order. So that's like how you would start. Um, and then for, uh, to get started, we would do like a 40 minute consultation. And then I would put together like a three month protocol, um, kind of a, a planned you know, action steps on like what to do. And I use supplementation for that. Kind of like you were uh, saying before, um, sometimes we have genetic defects and things going on that prevent us from absorbing and getting all our nutrition from the food that we eat. So usually when it comes to athletes, they want to perform and they want things to move along quickly. So I do use targeted nutraceuticals to help push the different biochemical pathways that I find in the blood work uh, to create a custom plan for the person over the course of the next three months um, that they can execute and um, try to shift the blood work values. Yeah. Yeah. So what are your consults cost? 
and can someone do it virtually if they want to? Yes. So I do in-person and uh, on-phone consultations and uh, kind of my basic plan is 375 and that includes the 40-minute consultation and then the three-month protocol. Um, And then for people who have chronic health issues going on, maybe they have uh, maybe some major GI stuff going on or they struggle with their thyroid health or they have severe hormone imbalances. Um, I can get more involved in that. And with those patients, I would meet on a monthly basis. I would have two more appointments where we'd check in with symptoms, see what's improving, see what's not. And that helps me like fine tune and course correct a little bit more. Um, And that appointment uh, is 675 for the three appointments. Yeah. So for a more in-depth version for follow-up. So 375 and 675, Mm -hmm. 270 you said for the blood work. Yeah. And if somebody was in Michigan, they could go order that panel from a lab there. Yes. There's a couple states that we'd have to probably find a workaround, but I guess we'll, we'll figure it out when we yeah. get there. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, to me on the surface at some level, that sounds expensive. But when you start looking into these types of services, it's very on par with others. And, and the question then becomes, how much do you want to invest in your health and in, in your performance? If you're willing to spend $250 on a pair of vapor flies to get your PR you should be able to willing to spend $270 on blood work. Right. You know, if you're willing to spend like, I think the New York marathon's $300 plus now if you're willing to spend that on a big race, then you should be willing to spend this type of money to get information that will help you not only be a faster athlete, but also just feel better as a person and understand why you have those afternoon bowls and energy or understand why sometimes you feel terrible, you know, and you can't explain it. You know, a lot of times I think as runners, we write all that stuff off as I'm training hard. I'm just supposed to feel terrible Mm -hmm. when really, yeah, you're, yeah, you're supposed to feel tired and beat up sometimes, but you're not supposed to feel terrible all the time. And as Dr. Moose said on our human performance project podcast, it's not all in your head. Usually (laughs) there's usually some underlying issue that's causing you to feel that way. We also, you know, one of the things we talked about that I think is relevant here is it takes a long time for us to get to a state of being unhealthy and it takes a long time to unravel it. And, you know, I've, I've spent about a year and a half now on, on my personal health journey since just totally crashing in the middle of a training cycle and wondering (laughs) what happened to my body. And it's what I found despite the abundance of time I have to research these issues and the inherent interest and the fact that I spend a lot of time on the trail with Dr. Moose (laughs) and we host a podcast together and we've all, the three of us have had lots of conversations about this. I'm still often bewildered and wondering, I don't know how to figure this out on my own. And I know like I struggle with, with my own health issues. And so I, I, you know, I find myself here like, okay, I'm ready to sign up. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm, over, yes. I'm over figuring this sign, out on my own. Sign up. So if somebody was interested in this, doing it virtually, what do they need to do? Is it just call the office? Yeah, just call the office. Okay. Well, that number is 512-524-5292. Or you can look up Health Plus ATX, which is the website. This has been really insightful, Natalie. We really appreciate it. And I think it's it's cool to see 
And anytime we've had conversations, I'm always like, man, Natalie knows so much stuff. <laughs> like, I wish I could capture what's in that brain. Oh, man. Once you get into the thick of it, <laughs> you're like, I don't know enough. There's so much nuance. But, yeah. you know, you need somebody to help you navigate that. And, yeah, and Natalie is somebody who can do that. If, if you're interested, we wanted to make that available to you guys. So definitely call, schedule something with Natalie. And the office will help you get coordinated with you know, how to do your blood work and all of that. And then you can do that via virtual means. And to the extent that you do take that step, I'd be really curious to hear what people learn because that'll be fun to, to kind of learn and share from each other. Awesome. Natalie, Thanks thank you so much. Me. Yeah, this has been <laughs> yeah, really cool. Thank and you. Happy, happy birthday. Happy birthday. <laughs> thank you. To, to a healthy <laughs> year. To a healthy year. To a healthy 22nd year. <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> there you go. Natalie Pichetti, everyone. Fascinating discussion. Obviously, we're not dispensing medical advice here, so please consult your own resources, or if you'd like to consult Natalie, please do that you can go check out their website at healthplusaustin.com. I think one of the fascinating things about that conversation is that you had Natalie's situation, which was very complicated in which she was able to figure out what was going on with her body by drilling into her blood work. Then you had my situation, which was a little bit less complicated where I simply had one value that was out of whack that ultimately led to a stress fracture in my leg. All of those scenarios and you probably have you know thousands of options in between in terms of where you might land but if you're interested in trying to figure out how your blood work relates to your performance you need to dig deeper than just those standard ranges that you're going to get from the doctor or on a typical blood panel results sheet so hopefully that gives you a little bit insight into that process if you want to consult with Health Plus ATX, you can do that. There's also some web-based platforms like InsideTracker.com, which does the same thing. So that's another resource to check out if you're interested in this topic. But hopefully you learned something. And now with more information, you can potentially dig underneath what, what might be going on in your own situation with your own blood chemistry. So we're going to wrap this episode 169 here. As always, you can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Rogue Running. You can also follow me personally on Instagram at Rogue Chris or on Twitter at Chris McClung. Would love to hear from any of you who might want to jump in and follow along in the conversation. Otherwise, we'll wrap it here and we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>